Darling, we've had one hell of a time But the question on everybody's mind Where is the Uh, Griffin, you should introduce the show, and I'll say why Griffin should okay. introduce the show, because um, Ethan, yeah. when you introduce the show, you're always at a very professional level. Thank you. It's a, like a solid B. Griffin mm-hmm. sometimes brings a real A-game energy that is yeah. energetic, and sometimes he acts like he doesn't know he's on a show and is totally confused and frightened by it's my It's a coin toss, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I love the unpredictability of that. And for the I live agree. show that's already started with us having a weird fucking programming loop, uh, I think it's perfect. Let's Griffin. see what it's going to be, folks. What's Drum roll. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Ideas Don't Leave. <laughs> 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 Fucking not good. <laughs> That's a bad one. It's good. It's good. We're doing good. Uh, this is Ideas Don't Bleed live. Uh, <laughs> I was going to continue doing it. It doesn't matter. You're, go ahead. You're take the reins. It's take fine. the reins. Um, uh, There's a special live stream. Uh, we are joined today by my good friend, and a uh, wonderful writer, Mr. Kyle Higgins. Kyle, thank you for joining us today. How's it going, hey, guys? Kyle. Good to see you. Uh, before the show, Ethan asked me if you and me were friends, Kyle. He was like, are you guys friends? And I was like, yeah. And then I was like... Because <laughs> sometimes Matt brings enemies on. And then I was like, yeah, we're friends. <laughs> and then I was like, we've had meals together. And then I was like, I don't actually know if we've ever had a meal together. Uh, no, we did. We did. It's when I learned about your chocolate milk sitch uh okay. I, go it, on and your straight edge yeah it was a whole we had do you remember it was in i think it was oh. in Emerald city and we went to that like late night korean barbecue yeah Batman yeah, yeah. dinner when all the writers were still getting along yeah yeah i was like the only non-dc writer there and it was but, oh but even before that we had that's what it was before that you and me and donnie and a few others were having we had oh, dinner yeah. Like, in an area of Seattle, which now, by the way, I was there a few months ago, and, like, I didn't realize heroin was just so easily right there. Seattle is wild these days. Seattle is, like, yeah, if you want to see people put things into their body that they shouldn't, they'll just do it right there in front of you on the street. Yeah. It's a a bummer. We have that in L.A., but it's they're they're more boutiques Mm -hmm. than... Uh, heroin <laughs> boutique. Yeah. No, no, no. I'm saying put people putting things into their bodies that there's some there are so many elixirs and you're talking about crystals. I'm t- I'm talking I am talking about crystals. Yeah. That's fair. That's fair. Grinding up crystals and But yeah, so we did have a meal together. We, but... At least one. Yeah. Yeah. Basically, yeah, you're my best friend. Okay, got mm-hmm. it. Sure. I haven't seen <laughs> you in a couple of years. You I... you refuse to do do you, are you retired from conventions? No, I'm not retired. Uh, there's a pandemic on Kyle. I'm just asking. No, I haven't done. I haven't word done. We're on the street, you know. There's no word on the street that I'm retired. How would you uh, know you're not out there? That's true. I'm not on the street. I have no idea what the word on the street is. But <laughs> I no, I'm not retired from Avengers. I just haven't done any. I haven't seen you. But you, you know, I live in a city. You could come here and hang out with me. Where are you at? I live in New York City. <laughs> New it's York. Called. It's yeah, I've been there. New York City. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. Uh, you've heard of it. It's on the map. Uh, mm-hmm. If you ask Ethan and Griffin where they're from, they'll make up a place. 
It's not. That's not, it's not true. true. Every time I ask them where they live, it's a different. You just don't remember. You're not retaining no, information about Ethan, us because it yeah. doesn't matter. Ethan looks like he needs to be rescued wherever he is right now. That like you need a plant, bro, like or something. Yeah. It's my bedroom. I think that's generally the vibe of my bedroom. (laughs) You have two doors behind you. One leads to safety, and one leads to the decapitator. And one's a gateway to hell, or his closet, or his closet. closet. You could have uh, it's funny. Matt. It's funny you say that because you you've said that about here. I have another recording spot, and I think the last time we were there, Matt said that I looked like I was recording in a boiler room. So my house is taking a lot of black. <laughs> this is brutal. You know look, what? look at Matt Rosenberg's background. Now that is the background of a man who wants people to think he's a writer. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's true. And it's stressful. It's really it's, stressful to it's look. It's called at. cosplay, and it's important to me. <laughs> Your hat is like you are perfectly <laughs> accent colored out. <laughs> from your background it's delightful thank you thank you i think it's great. um i if we're going to talk about backgrounds let's talk about that nice nightwing poster you got going that is on a nice nightwing poster yeah we're going to talk I, about nightwing so actually there's a funny little story about that nightwing poster let's do it so nightwing is my all-time favorite character Damn. uh since i was like 10 years old and realized that nightwing <laughs> existed was a thing mm-hmm. and uh it was also the first book that i read and bought every month you know they don't understand matt what it was like before you discovered a comic book store it was like it was the spinner rack at the grocery store in our generation or not even spinner rack just like they had sometimes spinner rack but so you were getting books like and especially that era it was like part what like there were four spider-man titles and part one would be in one title and part two of a story would be in another title and part three would be in another like web of sensationalized like one half issue and so you couldn't follow anything but i picked up nightwing like 16 and um it was like a low enough number where it was like oh i could actually keep going with this and i already really liked the character and had kind of discovered that's why i picked up the issue and and the color scheme was like really really striking to me and so when i got hired to do nightwing for the new 52 I actually went on eBay and found uh, that poster, which was, and I, 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 it pops up every once in a while, um, but I haven't really seen it in the years since. And this was back in 2011 now. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was the promo poster that went out to stores in the, uh, for the launch of the Chuck Dixon, Scott McDaniel series, which okay. was the only other Nightwing number one before my Nightwing number one. And so I actually knew Scott when I was much younger and Chuck, I'd met at conventions when I was you know, growing up as well. And they were always so supportive. So I reached out to both of them and asked if they'd sign it for me. And so they both have signed it. One was like, welcome to Bloodhaven. And the other is from one wing nut to another. So mm-hmm. they're, it's a little faded back there now, but uh, I always thought that was a lot of fun. So that's, a, that's good. That was a really mm-hmm. good uh a Nightwing story. That was a good question that, you know, teed me up to, you know, mm-hmm. your producer yeah. did a really good job with the pre-interview. Man. Yeah. They were like, hey, this do you have a poster on your I don't know if they're associated with this podcast or anything, but whoever called me and <laughs> Said, told me, what's on your wall and asked, and asked me for personal information and stories that um, now that I think about it, they would have been incriminating. Yeah. We're going to get to all of that stuff. We're going right. to get to all the probably, legal stuff. I probably should have checked the number with you before I just told <laughs> the stranger everything about my life. 
That's fine. That's fine. We're gonna act responsibly with all this information. Mm-hmm. Sure. I, I, it was it was Chip. Chip does that from time to time. Or yeah. he he somehow finds out about the guests we're getting on the show, and then he'll go ahead and he'll do those sorts of. But the thing is, what the the best part about when Chip does it is that he he has to like he has to he's an outside in actor, so he dresses up like Matt before he makes those phone calls yeah yeah despite that it's just it's just audio you can't see him you've seen buffalo bill right like it's chip doing a matt voice he's very method it's on it's not nerving but it's beautiful i think there's a lot of beauty in oh it is yeah yeah um i don't say that about chip a lot but there's a lot of beauty in 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 when he's pretending to be me and just getting people's social security numbers. Chip's uh, turn as Matthew Rosenberg, I think, is really like, I think this is the year he gets If the there Oscar. were an award for acting in life, that role. If there were an award for being a grifter, it would be, <laughs> Chip, Chip would get it. He's so talented. Uh, but uh, en- enough about Chip. Let's talk mm-hmm. about you, Kyle. Sure. I want to do, I like to do a little background. I do a little background. And actually, the thing that I'm intrigued about by you, which we've talked about in person, but I'm always sort of fascinated by and would wanted to know more. And it was sort of the first thing I wanted to know was like you got into comics in such a truly weird way, mm-hmm. because like creating them, not right. as a fan, but like you got in through filmmaking. Mm-hmm. And I sort of, you know, I, I wanted you to tell that story, but also I yeah. was sort of wondering like, is this where you want to be? <laughs> like you sort of, you sort of fell backwards into this thing, and it's. A weird I don't know. Have you been? Have you? Been, I don't know if you've been seeing any of the stuff we're doing <laughs> lately, but it does. It does tend to get a little outside of the medium, doesn't it? Sure. The, yeah. yeah. I mean, I just I, the I'm I'm just sort of fascinated by by the like yeah the, peop, the there are so many people who work so hard to get into comics, and obviously you're a lifelong comics fan, but you weren't working to get into comics, correct? Well, no, but also to be fair, I there was an opportunity, the window to an opportunity, it felt like that was opened. And I can tell the story in a second. And it was something that I, I looked at as like, well, there's no way I want to pass on that. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I had, I had made, I had tried to make comics in high school, like and draw them as well. For, for a period of time can you draw at all like are you okay? not really i mean i could do i i can i can do something if like in a if i like gun to my head i can kind of get by with something mm-hmm. um but i could i can definitely capture more gestural than i just i have no talent for um like uh i have no talent for rendering mm-hmm. you know or or how to really depict th- it's yeah um, but I was always really like growing up, I copied a lot of things all the time, like other drawings, like I was really good at that. And that's kind of how I start, like got to understand a little bit of anatomy and, and then shot compositions and stuff. Mm-hmm. So I guess, so I always, so I had kind of dabbled in it, but you're right. It wasn't something that I was actively pursuing. Um, whether I want to be here or not, I do, of course. That it's was a, a joke. The, <laughs> well, I, it's a complicated answer in that, my relationship with comics and storytelling in general in different mediums um, has changed over the years and certainly since COVID started. And so now a lot of what I'm looking to do is actually kind of, um, I like to describe it as taking full advantage of a concept. And for me, a lot of the fun comes from playing with form and medium 
Mm-hmm. And that's also allowed me to utilize some of these other kind of um, skills I've had over the years and have been developing the background and really trying to get back towards when it comes to things like directing. And, you know, I was, a, most people don't know, like I was a sound editor for 10 years mm-hmm. um, and worked in post for a long time. And, you know, also have this directing background and, and graphic, de- a little bit of graphic design and, and um, things like that. But, um, but yeah, but as far as how I got into basically making comics, it was because of a film I directed in college. So it was a, um, a little <clears throat> superhero noir about the 1960s superhero labor union of Chicago. It's called Cowl or no, actually it was called the league. Then that's the name of the short. And it's, you know, we shot entirely on super 16 millimeter film. I, again, I had this, this kind of, especially then I was very kind of knowledgeable in post and post-production workflows in an era, like we're talking 2006, 2007, when it was like, it was very complicated and a little dicey sometimes, whether you're going to get a good image out uh, if you didn't have like truly knowledgeable pros working on your stuff. And when you're in film school, you know, we had the the building at Chapman University had opened only a, a year earlier, this particular um, like expansion building. And it was like beyond cutting edge. And we had our own Spirit 4K film scanner and, and different data city set up and different. We could do all this awesome color, great stuff and offline and online editing with like an Avid Unity soon, uh, server and stuff like that. But you're matching back to film but having to edit video, but it has to still match back to the key code on the film. So it was very complicated to do stuff yeah. like this. But we, I had enough background in VFX work that I knew what I, I knew kind of what we were going to be able to pull off and we designed the film just beyond the scope of what we thought we'd be able to do and which was already ambitious. And then it almost killed us doing it. <laughs> <laughs> but when I finally finished it um, and I had graduated at this point, and then spent another six months on it. Um, a good friend of mine, or well, I haven't talked to him in, in several years now, but um, at that time became a good friend. Uh, Eric White had designed all the characters and reached out to me after, you know, he saw how it all turned out. Um, and Eric was a comic book illustrator uh, and a cartoonist himself. And he just really, really liked how the short turned out. And he's like, do you have an agent? And I was like, I'm, I'm 23, man. I just graduated like... <laughs> last month no i don't have an agent and so he offered to introduce me to his and then one step further he was like if you can get down to san diego when i was in orange county he's like if you can get down to san diego i've got my wife's uh comic-con badge so like come down and like i want to introduce you to some people like bring copies of the movie Mm -hmm. so I, i burned all these dvds and the cover was um and this this will all loop back probably at the end the cover was very um it was very kind of it was very striking it was something i had definitely invested time and resources in and and a friend of mine owen uh colgan who's a big concept artist at uh uh ea uh ea sports or ea games um and then he was one of the early guys at riot he designed like the, uh, the majority of their like biggest champions uh lucian is his design stuff like that so ian uh owen painted this cover for us and so the dvd and the design packaging that i mocked up for it and everything was was very very you know striking and so that made the world of difference yeah and so eric would introduce me to people and i you know give them this disc and so i 
I got back to LA and suddenly I had like some meetings on an unfinished movie. And then when the movie was finished, Eric sent it out a link to our very polished looking website and, you know, the Vimeo film version of the a Vimeo link that was embedded into the site. And it was all very clean. Um, he sent it out to like 200 people, everyone he knew in film and TV and comics. And one of the first people that wrote back was Joe Casada. And he said that he had watched it and um, that my love of uh, comics and, and filmmaking showed up on, on, in every, you know, every frame. And if there's ever anything you do for me to let him know. And I wrote back and I was like, well, I'm a big fan of your work. And I was, and said, if you're ever looking for any writers, you should let me know, you know, because again, looking at, well, this is something I wouldn't mind exploring, you know, and I didn't think I'd have that kind of opportunity that quickly. Um, and so then you blink and suddenly you've spent 12 years doing it full time. That's uh, I, I love that story because it's such a weird. Oh, hold on. Let me real quick. Yeah. Let me add an addendum to that because this is this is the important part. So. Tom, that sounds like it's, and then you're writing at Marvel, right? Sure. That's not, that's not how that went. So like, that's the thing. I feel like on this podcast, that's pro- this is probably a good place to like actually contextualize then what actually happens after that. Right. So like <laughs> you get the opportunity and Tom asked me what kind of characters I liked and I told him and, and I even pitched doing the league as a comic and he's like, well, that would, we don't do creator owned, you mm. know, so we couldn't, and it already exists now. So it'd be too complicated. And so he said, here's what I'm going to do. I find in these types of situations, it's best for you not to pitch to me as the editor in chief. Right. And I looking at it now, like it, I totally get it. It makes total sense at the time. I'm like, ah, oh, well, I, okay. So how does it, he's like, I'm going to send the movie to all of my senior editorial staff mm-hmm. and see if anyone bites. And if they don't, then I'll circle back and we'll figure something out from there. And so I got an email from Tom Brevoort one day. I don't even know if you like the movie. He's never actually said, uh, but he, if you know, Tom, like he's, yeah. you know, he's just very, you know, to the point. And sure. um, he offered me an opportunity to pitch, but the thing is there was no, it wasn't with any specific uh, parameters beyond mm-hmm. like a single story, like a one shot, let's start small. And so he's like, well, if it's a good story, we'll find a place for it. So I spent a year writing up, I, I pitched over 21 shot ideas, 20 wow. fully like broken ideas for one shots. At, and at, at once or over a no, year? Oh. At least 20 over a year. So wow. it would be every few months I'd send in a few more. And then it'd be like a week would go by or a few weeks would go by. Cause you know, you're at the, you're at the end of the priority list for, sure. for an editor. Yeah. Um, and that's, that's just the way it is. And so he would get back to me eventually and go like, okay, I like these. Um, he's like, uh, but I've, and I've shared them with those books editors. And then it's like, ah, well that, well, they're not They don't know who I am. Yeah. Right. So then I kind of figured out a way to, I, he finally told me where he would have, he thought where he had some slots open that were more specific. Cause I started looking at what books I knew he was the editor on just by picking up books on the stands. And then when he gave me, when I was able to get more specific parameters out of the 2025th pitch that I had, you know, turned in, then uh, I catered something. It was actually with Alec who had written the league with me mm-hmm. and it became a Captain America theater of war one shot. And it just so happened he, we pitched a world war two story as he needed a world war two story. Wow. And he had said he needed a world war two story, but it, it, 
again, it was just, it, it all kind of coalesced. Yeah. Um, but then it was a year before my next book, which was an Avengers one shot. Within that time, though, I was able to connect through our Captain America artist's agent with some other publishers as I was looking to try to do the league as a comic. And that also in- included an introduction to Mike Martz, who was running the bat office. Sure. And so then you just kind of start trying to lay different, you know, groundwork where you're able to. And, um, it was, yeah. So that, yeah. So it's a, it's definitely a long, a longer form kind mm-hmm. of, do you, do you still have all those pitches? Like, are those saved yeah. in a file that you're like, these are good ideas? Like, do you have you revisited them and been like, this? There's something no, to this. Or... No, there's one. There's one uh, issue. There's one story that came really close to happening, and it was actually Brubaker that killed it. Uh, and then when I saw Ed, when I met him in person, because we knew each other over email, because he was very supportive of the short film. Mm-hmm. Um, but when we met in person for the first time, he, the first thing he said to me was like, oh, yeah, I'm sorry I killed that story. It was great. Like, but <laughs> I, I kind of wanted to rip it off. You know? <laughs> so, um, but no, he was it was I totally understand, like, especially where that character was at that point in his run. He had, you know, yeah. cool plans for him. But it, it's a it's a pitch that I still really like. And when I did the Winter Soldier one shot or uh, miniseries with Rod Reese a few years ago, I did go back and look at it to see if there was a way I could. I could use any of it or, or, and it didn't, it didn't fit there, but it's something I would like to do uh, one day. But yeah, beyond that, I haven't looked at any of the, any of the other ones. Yeah. It's a, it's always funny to me because I feel like, especially when you're starting, like, like you said, like people don't necessarily understand that like a lot of what happens is a like editors ask you if you have ideas because they've already got all their bases covered and you sort of have to give them something that they didn't, that they need that they didn't know they needed. Mm, And it's sort of this weird thing. And you end up with a, you know, a lot of people end up with this slush pile of, of unused stuff that like, I'm always sort of fascinated by. And I, I went back and looked at some of my early stuff and was like, Oh, none of this is publishable. (laughs) Like this is terrible. I'm (laughs) glad that it didn't go through, but it, it, but it is always funny because like every once in a while you'll find the thing where you're like, this is really good. And I don't. Yeah. And and then there are, there are things I've been really fortunate in my career thus far in that pretty much everything that I've ever wanted to do and and make, I've been able to make, like Mm -hmm. I don't have a lot of stuff that died yeah. Uh, that I was really invested in. Um, the one, the one that did that didn't go is something that very much has inspired uh, something we're going to be announcing pretty soon. And you, you want to announce it here live on YouTube for <laughs> break it? people? Get it's, the scoop? Uh, here's what I will say: um, this is by far without a doubt, the most ambitious thing I have ever tried, ever. Awesome. And, mm-hmm. and I say that with including the fact that we just did a surprise five-and-a-half-minute fully animated short film <laughs> voiced by Will Friedle as an Easter egg in an issue of Radiant Black. Like, <laughs> what the thing that's coming up is, is, um, is, is very, very uh, ambitious. And when, so, it's, when, it, but it originates when, from a project... That died. That I was going to do with Tim Sale, um, oh, wow. and it yeah, didn't. Right. It wow. didn't. It, it and it died at. Um, it died where it died, well before um, you know Tim. Tim unfortunately passed away this year, right. um, mm-hmm. but 
uh, I'm, we're going to dedicate the first issue of this new thing to Tim. Oh, that's beautiful. Yeah, well, um, when, uh, when can we expect to see whatever this mystery thing is? Mm, a couple weeks. Oh, wow. Oh, oh shit. Okay. Yeah. So we really basically had you on the show just like too early. Two weeks too early. Yeah. yeah. Two weeks too early. We fucked I, up. I think it's something that when it... Do you know what it is, Matt? Did I tell you about it? No, this I don't thing? know what it is. Okay. Um, when we... Yeah, when we announce it, I, like if, if if you do want to talk about it, I'll Ooh, a follow potentially up. come. Maybe, yeah, we'll see. <laughs> Maybe okay. you might be too big for us by then. That's no, fine. no. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I I definitely am already, but yeah, no. Uh... You're already slumming it here with us, and that's nice. Did you see how this podcast started? It was real rough. You, you shouldn't be on here. This is bad for you. I'm just um, glad most everyone has headphones. Yeah, it's beautiful. <laughs> oh yeah. Oh no, <laughs> Ethan hasn't. I thought he. I could only see one one of Ethan's ears. There you go. He has one. Like he needs to have situational awareness because he's in a dungeon. So. Well, I'm I'm, all, I'm always scared somebody's going to sneak up behind me out of that gateway to hell. Yeah. Um, you got to yeah. be careful about that. Um, one of the things uh, I wanted to ask you, Kyle. Yeah. Um, I think you're you're sort of a fascinating. Uh, person to me because um, thank you love that yeah. well wait wait, wait, <laughs> wait to hear why uh, it doesn't go good from here um, it never does no I mean I, I I knew you from you know the new 52 stuff and then we knew each other from around at shows yeah. and and you were a very from our single meal together from our single meal we got to know each other no but you know we table next to each other we'd hang yeah. out at the bar or whatever um, and and you were always this sort of um, I was just like Kyle. Very much knows what he wants. He's very you're you were very focused, driven writer, and I always found it really interesting and inspiring that you were like, I want to do these things. I want to move here. I want to do these things. And it was really, you know, I I felt like a lot of times in my career, I was kind of just like, I don't know, man. I if someone says something cool to me, offers me something cool, I'll do it. And you were like, No, I'm very, you know, like I plan things, and I I always thought it was very interesting, but I didn't sort of understand the scope of what you were doing. And then yeah. you went from being you went from being like, you know, the Nightwing writer and doing a bunch of other stuff to Power Rangers. And I was like, okay. And you were like, well, I like Power Rangers. And I was like, cool. You know, that's, <laughs> that's cool. Like it, I, I didn't grow up as a Power Rangers person. So like, to me, it's, you know, uh-huh. it doesn't have any uh, emotional attachment. So I'm like, right. oh, yeah, it's a book. It's boom. It's cool. It's respectable, whatever. And then you parlayed that into right. all these different things. And you like embedded yourself in the Power Rangers community really well. And you were making films and you were you were orchestrating all this stuff and then from there like it just exploded in all these different directions that i think is so like there are not a lot of comic creators who i talk to where your name comes up where people don't just be like man kyle in the last few years has really become (laughs) like you're this industry like you've become this like mogul in this fascinating way that like I now can look back and see it. I can see when we were talk and yeah. you were you were still like a DC writer. I can see you being like, yeah, I have eyes for bigger things and all this stuff, but I didn't quite understand it at the time. And like, I wonder, I guess my question is like where you are now with what you're doing with like Radiant Black and the Massive Verse and all this stuff, like was this, how much of this is built off of experiences you had in the moment and how much is like, Oh, I knew always knew I was going to do this. Like maybe not what the book was, but yeah, the bigger stuff, like how much of this is planned for you? So, um, 
Sorry, I have the most emotionally needy cat. I'm actually <laughs> at a, I, my desk is in standing mode to, to try to prevent that, and that does not it doesn't, doesn't seem to do discourage great. him at all. Mm-hmm. Um, well, first of all, thank you. I, I appreciate um, that. It's it's you know, it's very kind of you to even acknowledge. Um, you know, I don't. It, it's weird when you're kind of in it and just like you know, all all I'm doing is these. You know. I feel like most of my days are spent paying invoices these days. Um, <laughs> invoices and Zooms and, you know, um, you know, uh, you know, awful podcasts that are actually delightful, you know. Oh, um, I don't know anything about that. Well, I'll send you some recs. Oh, thanks. Um, <laughs> we're we're putting no. that on our fucking cover. The quote. Actually yeah. delightful. Actually delightful. Actually. <laughs> yeah. Um, but no, it, I, look, I, I, I would say a lot of it is planned. Like a lot of this has been planned for quite some time. Um, but it's also, it's, it's weird. It's, you know, you, you hear that colloquialism about um, luck being opportunity meeting. Um, what is it? Opportunity meeting like readiness. Pre- preparedness. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Preparedness. And there's certainly some truth to that. Um you know, when I was at, I always had in my mind the idea of the type of, uh, and I think you guys will understand this. I always had in my mind that this, the idea of the type of creator that I wanted to be and in the types of spaces I wanted to be working in. Mm-hmm. And, and I had the beginnings of the types of stories I wanted to tell. At least, and I was fortunate in that the types of stories I wanted to tell tended to be more, you know, psychological thriller or or superhero like stuff. And mm-hmm. you know, I ended up at least at the at the New Fifty Two. I ended up in in hindsight, it didn't feel like it at the time. In hindsight, I ended up in definitely one of the better groups to be in during that era, like by far, sure. if not the best. Um, working closely with Snyder and navigating the politics and also editorial and, and above editorial and, and all of it. And no one coming from a bad place, but just there's a lot of competing interests and a lot of cooks in the kitchen. And there's sure. just a lot to figure out as a young writer and also fig- trying to figure out how to be consistent. Hmm. But the longer I've done it and worked in comics, um, the clearer what those things and what those stories and, and types of um, in, in different medium swings uh, and where my priorities, where I want them to be at, the more the, that has become kind of ref, like clearer. Like mm-hmm. I, I'm able to not only see it clearer, but I can articulate it now. And um, part of it has always been about like, for example, like starting a company that's that's more of a creative collective comes out of the, a place of wanting to work with my friends because that's what I love. Like I, I say this like and it's true. The best part of comics is the collaboration. Sure. My favorite part is collaborating with my friends. Mm. You know, I have no life like this is just what I do. You know, I, I work with artists and creators kind of around the world now. So I'm answering. There is always somebody up with a question like it doesn't matter what time of day. Yeah. And so there's always things to do. And, and I embrace that in this era of my life, like that's what this era is for me. I'm in the like hunker down in my 
you know, my, my little apartment in LA with my very needy and emotionally uh, complicated cat. And I'm just making stuff. We're just building universes and things like that. But for that to be possible, you really, the truth of the matter is um, you need the kind of right platform opportunity to Mm -hmm. kind of do it from. And, Mm -hmm. you know, Todd McFarlane has given a lot of interviews over the years. Um, There's a really great one he gave uh, with Complex a few years ago where he went through, it's like a 45 minute video and every comic creator should look at it Mm -hmm. because it goes through how you build, how he built the foundations of what has become his empire, right? Mm -hmm. And the core foundational piece is Spawn. But Spawn is built off of Todd's work on Spider-Man and that work on Spider-Man being so defining that he really, you know, it was an era where you could be kind of, I don't want to say, I don't, I don't use the term brand in a negative light when I say brand here, Mm -hmm. but like Todd's art and the way he approached comics and the types of characters that you could tell the ones he loved to draw. Right. Mm -hmm. Those are the ones he then basically you focus on and you build out your spawn and you're trying to bring readers as well as just, people with any sort of um, general awareness of comics to follow you to the thing that you own, um, et cetera. Now those, the reason the video is so fascinating is because those opportunities when it comes to say Marvel and DC, which for a long time were where that's the best spot to build out something that you could then kind of, you know, go and do your own thing off of the springboard. Mm -hmm. But, for whatever reason, to me anyway, and I might be totally off base here, it has felt for some time, definitely for the last five or six years, like that's really tricky to do with these characters. And I think in part it's because runs have been shorter mm-hmm. and there have been so much, there's been so much rebooting and certainly the new 52 kind of broke things. And then there was reboots after that. And now it's all kind of, you know, it's, it's just a little different. And so mm-hmm. with the exception of like, you know, Matt, and David Aha's Hawkeye. Yeah. Uh, and, I, and I would actually point to Hawkeye and then Matt jumping and doing sex criminals with Chip mm-hmm. is actually a platform jump there mm-hmm. because it's the same, it's the tone, it's the voice. You're coming for mm-hmm. this voice, right? And um, so this is all a long-winded way of saying that when I was doing kind of the DC stuff, I was watching the way Scott put rooms together and how he kind of navigated as well. Like, okay, I'm doing detective and now they've put me on Batman at Batman number one. Well, where do I go from here? And to me, it was like, Oh wait, what do you mean? You know, where do you Mm -hmm. go from here? He's like, well, you have to think about that. And I, it hadn't really occurred to me, but then you look at it and it's like, Oh yeah, where do, when you're out writing the main Batman book, where do you go? Do you go to Superman or you go to wonder woman, you go to justice league and that, but that's kind of, it you know or then you go to a b kind of list character and reinvent them and hopefully get them to pop obviously jeff did that for a lot of years as well sure um but it's kind of a path if you're even fortunate enough to get on you know the right one of those paths where the 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 Mm -hmm. roller coaster is actually it actually works you know where it's going up as Mm -hmm. opposed to stalling out which is what (laughs) often happens when you get on some some of these books do you feel Uh, like nightwing's part of that path for you Yes, um, okay. in, in, a, in some ways, yeah. And mm. Nightwing is what helped me uh, do Cowl. 
Uh-huh. Um, and, and, you know, I've, I have a complicated relationship with my time on Nightwing with the book uh, because it wasn't a great experience, mm-hmm. but also it's an experience that I became a much, much better writer as mm-hmm. a result of. And like, mm-hmm. I like to look at it now as though, you know, some of the work I, I, I don't, you know, I'm not, I'm not in love with, sure. but um, it's cool that I got to have that type of relationship with my favorite character where I became a better writer mm-hmm. you know, from working yeah, on absolutely. him. And so, um, so that, that's helped. But the, the cool thing was that I think um, it, it was a book that did well in within the new 52 and, and was selling well. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's also kind of the book that I was able to then meet Eric Stevenson at image because mm-hmm. of him. And so I started developing a relationship with Eric and image and we did Cowell, which was, the beginning and now Kyle is a part of the massive verse these years later, but we did Kyle as my first creator owned book at image. Um, it's funny you bring up power Rangers because to make a longer story, hopefully not too much longer, but really to bring it back home. The whole time I was doing new 52 stuff, I was doing comic book conventions as well. And this was an era where there was this little group of us in LA that tended to just end up at the same kind of um, launch day signings or, mm-hmm local shows local regional shows so it was me it was brian bucciolato uh josh fialkoff um sterling gates uh eric wallace was in there uh jt kroll some you know t- certain times those guys were around mm-hmm. and the thing that w- was striking to me was like doing conventions on a regular basis now as like a pro um and, and just meeting different fans and readers i was really surprised by how prevalent power rangers was amongst um convention goers mm-hmm. and so i actually brought up to boom to to um bryce carlson who i'd gone to college with coincidentally um while i was doing nightly i was like you know what you guys should do like you guys should get the license for power rangers one day like you could mm-hmm. build out like i kind of just saw it it's like you could build like a kind of teen titans or x-men type superhero series teenage superhero group book uh, and take full advantage of the concept and not be limited by pre-existing footage and kind of all that stuff. And Bryce, mm-hmm. like, you know, it's funny you bring that up. He's like, we've been talking about that because the license is going to become available. And so then they didn't, they didn't end up getting it. And so Paper Cuts announced that they were doing it. And so I kind of forgot about it after that. Uh-huh. I was like, oh, I guess it didn't work out. And mm-hmm. then fast forward a few more years and because Paper Cuts didn't really do anything with it. They put out a few kind of like contained stories that were basically just episodes of the show. Uh, or designed to kind of be in that tone and everything. And suddenly, Boom announces in this press release that they have the license and they put out these covers that Goni Montes did of all the helmets. Yeah. And they mm-hmm. look like shiny, like brand new, like Ferraris, you know? Yeah. And it was like mm-hmm. that. They get it. That's what this book should be. And so I reached out and it was like, who do I figured the book already had a, a creative team. And I was like, who do you? Who do I have to kill to write a pitch for a backup? You know, and hopefully not you, Bryce, because you're the only one I know over there. And um, they didn't have a writer yet, but my name had come up because of the crisis, like because we talked about it all those years ago. Um, and so I had like a few weeks in uh, free in between going to make this little short film. And so I worked up a take on Power Rangers on how I would mm-hmm. do it. Got the gig. And then that became the thing that it's like, those platform kind of properties or, or books, I should say, are hard to find. Mm-hmm. And there hadn't been anything like Power Rangers in comics, in superhero comics. Um, and there hadn't been anything like superhero comics for Power Rangers. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So that became the kind of, to me, 
you know, the platform that kind of made sense to tear out from, especially mm-hmm. when um, Eric Stevenson asked me if I'd ever considered building an original superhero because he thought there'd be a market for original superheroes. Mm-hmm. And so that from like that minute, it was like, yeah, okay, I see it now. Um, and then we actually waited on Radiant Black on announcing it and debuting it until after Ultraman came out because uh-huh. the same, you know, kind of tokusatsu adaptation mm. uh, space or at least aesthetic influence. You can now, I was hoping there it would create a pattern with retailers where it's like yeah. Power Rangers to Ultraman, oh, to Radiant Black. Mm-hmm. Um, and that fortunately is is kind of what happened one of one of my questions here that you sort of answered was um you know what's your what's the deal with like ninja type dudes in motorcycle helmets like why you like them so much (laughs) Uh, you know what i I do have a good answer for that because the other thing that power rangers um really kind of changed for me as a as a writer there were there were two gentlemen i met uh matt groom and michael basudel both of whom uh are kind of integral pieces of the massive verse here Michael edits and does all the graphic design uh, for all of our titles. Uh, he also builds our websites, and he's just, I mean, he's hes incredible. Mm-hmm. Uh, Matt he is the creator of Infernal Girl Red and, you know, uh, wrote Supermassive with us and is doing the new Supermassive with us as well. And um, they ran a Power Ranger podcast. Huh. And so I met them when the book was first announced and they had just reached out asking, or one of the readers tagged me on Twitter if I would do an interview. And to your point about the Power Ranger community, the fan community, like I didn't know the community whatsoever. And mm-hmm. I figured, well, I'm entering into something that I know has a very um, big community. And so I, you know, this might be a good way to try to figure out the lay of the land and just get a sense of things because they were really, really nice, these two guys. And Michael's in the chat. <laughs> And so after the first episode, <laughs> I'd had this idea that I'd kind of always, and this comes from my filmmaking kind of background. I love director's commentaries. Sure. Like for, I, in high school, I started animating trailers for different, for Moonstone books, like for their comics. Uh-huh. And I would put on director's commentaries because it's like 14 hour days in a chair doing all this in after effects in like 2002, 2003. And um, so anyway, I, I got super into director commentaries as a young filmmaker, uh, wannabe future, feature director. And so I, I was like, you know, I've always wanted to do one on a comic series that I'm writing where you do it monthly, where you do mm-hmm. basically an episode for each um, issue. And so that's what we did for Power Rangers. And through kind of getting to know them um, and, you know, their help with things behind the scenes, you know, I, I think not only was the material better on the book, but I discovered that I really work best with, um, with, with other people. Like I work best as a writer mm-hmm. when I'm able to talk through things and kind of kick the tires on things um, kind of more organically that way. And it also meant that I think some of their influence also rubbed off on me. And, you know, I became more comfortable with two things as a, as a now hope, you know, getting a little older writer or creator optimism and ambiguity and those are not things that i used to be comfortable writing about mm-hmm. and power rangers really kind of changed that for me um and so the other thing that happened was matt and michael introduced me to where power rangers comes from which i knew already super sentai and especially mighty Morphin coming from um uh, Jew ranger the season Jew ranger but I had never watched any of the, the stuff. 
-hmm. And as they started kind of showing me episodes, I kind of fell in love with this medium in a way, or sorry, not medium, this, um, this genre, this, uh, called tokusatsu, which really just means, um, special effects filming, but it's taken on, you know, the, the helmeted, uh, transforming hero is certainly, you know, an archetype of it, the kaiju mm -hmm. Godzilla in this space as well. Well, I was totally burnt out on superheroes, yeah. from, not only as a fan, but probably mostly I can, I know this as a, because of, as a creator, when you're working on it every day and across all these genres and then I'm just not into it anymore. And tokusatsu became this kind of thing that was exciting to explore and to just be a fan of again. Mm -hmm. um, and, and the conventions and different storytelling conventions are, are quite different. And um, it's just, you know, it's just, it's just different. And yeah. so, yeah, so that's really where it kind of comes from. And so that's all stuff that you wanted to carry over into Radiant Black and sort of yeah. make your own. Mm -hmm. That's that's awesome. I, des I describe Radiant Black as Power Rangers with adult problems. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> and that brings us to the end of part one of our discussion with Kyle Higgins. Make sure to check out Radiant Black as well as everything else Kyle is working on by giving him a follow on Twitter at Kyle D. Higgins and subscribing to his newsletter at kyledhiggins.substack.com. To get the latest episodes of this podcast, as well as news, giveaways, and even comics delivered straight to your inbox, go to ashcanpress.com and sign up for the newsletter. We'll be back next week for part two of our discussion, and in the meantime, you can write to us at ideasdontbleedpod at gmail.com, or tweet to Matthew Rosenberg at ashcanpress on Twitter, me at Tales to Astonish, or Griffin at Griff Sheridan. We'll include some of your correspondence on the show, and we'd love to hear what you have to say. And big thanks to Summer People for our theme song, Where's the Poison? Thanks so much for listening, and we'll see you next time. 